we're going to get started here at the Word, but we're also going to finish at the same time. We are finishing a three-month series. For the first time ever, we have gone after preaching on the same scripture every single Sunday, aside from last Sunday when we had our guest, Pastor Tio Hayashi. Wasn't that a treat for us, you guys? Awesome, awesome man of God. We recorded a video with one another, a little video interview. That's going to go out this week on YouTube. I want you guys to watch it. We're talking about process and about patience and uh, what it looks like to wait on God when it doesn't seem like he's showing up in your life. Doesn't that sound interesting? So that's going to come out this week. But we've been talking about this topic now for almost every Sunday, yeah, for three months. And I got to be honest, when we first went after this, I was a little nervous. I thought, how can we talk about one passage of Scripture every Sunday for three months and get anything new out of it? But God has been so faithful. And I think that's a good example Of what happens when you study his word. Is that no matter how many times you read the same scripture over and over. There's always new treasures. That are revealed to us. As we partner with the Holy Spirit. And we prayerfully study God's word. And we recognized in January. That as Jesus invited his disciples. We're going to read that passage now. To follow me. That meant he was inviting us into relationship. Aren't you guys thankful for that? That we've been invited to have intimacy with God. We've been invited to have a close fellowship with our Creator. And then He said, I will make you. That's discipleship. And I'm thankful for that as well. I'm thankful for the fact that I don't have to transform myself. Anybody else in here thankful for that? That That it's not my sole responsibility to make myself good. But that Jesus tells us from the very beginning that he takes primary responsibility for transforming us into the person he's called us to become. Amen. That's, that's good news. What do you guys think? And then he said, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And that means evangelism. And I know when we first started talking about that, I had a few conversations. And it's like, oh, I'm nervous. What is God going to ask me to do? I hope he doesn't ask me to go on a mission trip. I hope he doesn't ask me to be a missionary. I hope he doesn't ask me to do something uncomfortable, like preach the gospel to my Uber driver. But, you know, honestly, I feel like that's one of the best times to preach the gospel because they can't get away. They have to listen and also pretend that they're interested because they want that five-star Right? And so you just preach the gospel to them. You share the gospel. And, uh, and today as we're diving in, we'll read the scripture. But I want to talk a little bit about evangelism as we're closing down this series and moving into this resurrection Caesar season. I hope it's not a resurrection seizure. Resurrection season. Everybody say season. All right. Let's open our Bible to Matthew chapter 4. Brian's, Brian's toast. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 through 20. This will be fun to read again. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me. Everybody say relationship. relationship. And I will make you. Everybody say discipleship. Fishers of men. Everybody say evangelism. Evangelism. 
immediately they left their nets and followed him. So, so good. Let's pray. Jesus, we ask for your help today. What happened? (laughs) Jesus, we love you. We thank you. (laughs) We thank you for an amazing day in the house of God. We'll just take this as a prophetic sign that the glory of God is filling the temple. Let the train of your robe, God, fill the temple. Fill this place up so that even the priests can no longer stand to minister. How's that? (laughs) Thank you, Lord, for making church fun. Thank you, God, for giving us joy. Thank you, God, for the free gift of salvation. Lord, we thank you that joy is not an emotion, but that joy is a fruit. And because we have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of us, we have permission to be joyful all the time. So thank you for your word, God. Anoint us. Help us today in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen, amen. amen. (laughs) Brian, thank you again. Let's give Brian another hand. So let's, let's look at what's happening here in the storyline of Jesus. So when Jesus first begins his ministry, what we read today is what he shared with his initial disciples. He says, I want you to follow me, and then I'm going to transform you. I'm going to construct you, in, and, then, and then I'm going to cause you to become a preacher of the gospel. Like, let's, let's be very clear. To, to fish for men means... To speak the gospel. Can I get a good amen? Amen. Jesus wasn't, you know, he he wasn't um, trying to trick us into becoming an evangelist. You know, whenever you meet somebody for the first time and you're like, what's your angle, man? Like, what do you want? Jesus was not that way at all. He was very clear and upfront about his expectations. That if you were going to follow him, you were going to be a speaker of the gospel. You were going to be a fisher of men. You were going to be somebody who would be an active participant in God's plan to redeem all of humanity. If you are a Christian, you are a fisher of men. If you are a believer, if you consider yourself to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, then you have been called, commissioned, and commanded to be a preacher of the gospel. And this is how Jesus begins his ministry. He doesn't want us to get confused about it. He's not inviting us into following him only later to reveal his plan. He tells us this from step one. This is what you're going to do if you follow me. And then as, as, as disciples follow Jesus, he shares with them his mission, Luke 19 and 11, where he says, for the son of man has came to seek and to save the lost. He's very clear. This is what I do. This is what I'm about. This is what my mission is. I'm here to seek and to save the lost, and I do that by preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. Now, this is where Jesus starts. This is where Jesus continues. And then just before Jesus ascends to the Father, he gives another commandment, and it's what we call the Great Commission. This is at the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority. That's pretty good, huh? How much is left for the devil? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, 
teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This was one of the last things that Jesus said to his disciples. He said this at the start, he said this throughout, and he said this at the end of his ministry. This was how Jesus lived. He constantly and consistently shared the gospel with lost people. So if we call ourselves Christian, meaning to become more like Jesus, how many of you would agree that we should uh, become more of a speaker of the gospel the longer that we follow Jesus Christ? Would you guys agree with that? Are we safe in assuming that? Because from the beginning to the end, Jesus preaches the gospel. He does not suggest to his followers that they would do the same, but he commands us to do the same. You know, in the Bible, it says the great commission, right? I mean, I I think that some Christians read that as the great suggestion, (laughs) the great option when you're having a good day. Let's be clear that Jesus gave us a commission, but it wasn't just a commissioning. It was a command. You guys with me? Amen. So my question is, as we're finishing this uh, series, is, is why don't we do it more often? You know, why don't we preach the gospel? Why don't we share the good news more often? Is it because there isn't a need for people to hear the gospel? Or is it because we don't know how to do it yet? I want to convince you on both of those points that it's possible for all of us to share the gospel. We live in a culture today that, that really and truly is tempted to believe that all is well in the world. That everything is good. That there are no problems happening. Aside from a few infomercials and some headlines, I know as of late there are more and more headlines, uh, but for the most part we tend to think that things are pretty good in the world, you know, things are all right, it's, it's going pretty well, and uh, that, that leaves us believing that there's not really that much work to be done, or at least not that much work that should be required of us individually, maybe, re- maybe required of the government may be required of nonprofit organizations, may be required of the church at large, but not a lot of work required of me as an individual, as a person. I mean, after all, what difference can one person really make? Somewhere else, somebody else is obeying the Great Commission. Surely, right? So I don't really need to do a lot. It's okay that I go to church a couple times a month. That's going to be fine for me. Well, that behavior and that ideology of being a Christian doesn't link up at all to the Christianity that Jesus embodied and preached. Have we ever thought about that before? It's, that's simply not true. Um, the, the world is in great need of the gospel. Would you guys agree with that? Like the world today is in absolute need of the gospel. And I, I want to prove that to you by sharing some statistics. This, this, This message is called Practical Evangelism, so it's a little bit of a practical uh, message today. But I want to share with you guys some statistics about the state of our world. Right now, the population in the earth is about 7.6 billion people. Um, There are 825 million people today who are currently hungry or malnourished. 23,000 people die every day of hunger. That, that stat is staggering, isn't it? Yeah. Already this year, 2.4 million people have died of hunger and malnourishment. 
It's only March, right? For 573 million people, there is no safe drinking water in the world. There are 39 million people uh, with AIDS worldwide. There have been 216,000 deaths by malaria this year. 1.1 million deaths uh, tobacco-related this year. 551,000 alcohol deaths this year. 236,000 suicides this year. 236,000 just this year. And then over $88 billion has been spent worldwide on illegal drugs just this year. $88 billion. So the question that we need to ask ourselves when we read statistics like this is that what responsibility do I have? Not does the church by and large have, but what responsibility do I have as an individual personally to these people that these statistics reflect as a Christian? As a follower of Jesus Christ, do I have any responsibility, any at all to these people? It's a question that we should ask ourselves. And these are the physical realities. This is what's happening practically in the natural all over the world. This is what's happening with people. But let's look for a moment also at the spiritual realities. There's a website that I follow called the Joshua Project, which I would encourage any of you guys to check out. Um, Every day there's a different people group on there that you can pray for that have been unreached. And I've been able to pull some statistics from the Joshua Project to to get some insight on how we are doing as a whole um, as it pertains to the Great Commission. So according to the Joshua Project, about 3.1 billion people are completely unreached today. 3.1 billion people. 1.7 billion are Muslim. 1.1 billion are Hindu. 979 million are non-religious. 488 million are Buddhist. 671 million are of ethnic religions, including the Chinese religion. 1.6 billion in the earth today are completely unevangelized. Let me give you guys some more statistics. 90% of foreign missionaries work among already reached people groups. 10% of all missionaries in the earth work amongst unreached people groups. Despite Christ's command to evangelize, 67% of all humans from A.D. 30, when Christ was crucified, to the present day have never even heard the name of Jesus Christ. 91% of all Christian outreach and evangelism does not target non-Christians, but targets other Christians. That's a big stat. In the last 40 years, over 1 billion people have died who have never heard of Jesus, and around 30 million people this year will perish without hearing the message of salvation. 70,000 plus people die every day in the unreached world without Jesus. Of foreign mission funding, 87% goes for work among those already Christian, and 12% for work among already evangelized, but, uh, but, but non-Christian. And then 1% for work among the unevangelized and the unreached people. That's that's pretty wild. Christians, now get this, Christians make up 33% of the world's population but receive 53% of the world's annual income and spend 98% of it on themselves. That's that's a a wake-up call, isn't it? 
only, get this, only 0.1% of all Christian giving is directed toward mission efforts in the 38 most unevangelized countries in the world. And a recent stat, this is a very recent stat, is that U.S. Christians give around 2.5% of their income to the local church. So most Christians are not tithers, and that's, that's not news to me. Uh, I think 2.5%, in fact, is, is a little bit generous. But overall, uh, U.S. Christians give about that much to the local church. And local churches usually give around 2% of those funds to spread the gospel overseas. So if you do some math, every $100 that a professional Christian makes in North America, he or she will give $0.05 cents through the local church to the rest of the world. So when you look at stats like this and you ask yourself that same question, what responsibility do I have as an individual, as a person, as a follower of Jesus Christ to the people that these statistics reflect? What responsibility do I have as a recipient of God's good grace, as a recipient of salvation, uh, as a recipient of, of the mercy of the Son of God, Jesus Christ? That by the cross, by his blood, by his body, I've been redeemed. And now I've received the great commission. I've received a commandment from God himself, personally saying to me to share the gospel, to preach the good news with all of creation. And yet these are the statistics that we're confronted by. What responsibility do we have as a believer to do something about these statistics? Now, I want to share with you guys, this is some encouragement. I asked Sarah for some insight this week. And here's what legacy does. On average, it's about 2% that the U.S. church gives to missions. I want you guys to know that last year, Legacy Church gave 12% of our income to global missions. I think that's pretty awesome. That does not include local support to our emeritus fund, uh, but we gave away about $60,000 to missions last year. Isn't that great? That's what you guys have done. Isn't that, isn't that awesome? So, so why do I read these statistics? You know, since Jesus has told us to fish for men by preaching the gospel, we have to ask ourselves, what are we doing? What are we doing to help the people that these statistics represent? If we have received a command from God to preach the gospel, are we being obedient? Or are we simply outsourcing our responsibility to obey the Great Commission? To, to the local church. Right? Because we often think about it like this. Did you know that your pastors are not the people that you pay via your tithes to do the Great Commission for you? Right? But oftentimes this is the way that we see it. We're like, well, isn't that what you get paid to do? You know, don't you get paid to reach people? But that's not how the Great Commission was passed down by God. You know, and I think the church has really done a great job developing strategies and, you know, finding different ways, creative ways to reach people. I don't think that these things are inherently bad. Obviously, we've learned how to make uh, church inclusive for people who are seeking. We've learned how to make church more comfortable for our members. We have creative programs. We have professional productions, as you guys noticed by the haze. And we have beautiful facilities, right? We have all of these things. None of these things are bad. We're all going to continue to do all of these things. But I'm just wondering that if we had none of these things, would they be the first thing that we would spend our money on after having received the Great Commission? 
Like if all we had was us standing here in a field, just us as a group of people, and we hear the words of Jesus Christ say, here's the Great Commission. And here's all these statistics. This is the state of the world. This is how many people are lost. There's over 70,000 people that are going to die today having never heard the name of Jesus Christ. We're aware of these statistics. We received the Great Commission from Jesus. And then we're all huddled together in a group for corporate worship. How would we respond? Would we pull all of our money together and, and buy a building? I mean, just a question. Would we pull all of our money together and say, you know what we should do? Let's all give you know, some money, and then we're, let's fly in a, a professional band. You know what I mean? Would we do that? You know what I mean? Hey, guys, let's, let's, get, let's get this thing together. Let's get the best speakers, man. You know, let's hire the best staff. You know, let's spend the next six months interviewing people. They're going to be the best to make this more comfortable for me and create good programs for my kids. Like, there's nothing wrong with any of that. I'm not saying there's anything. I'm glad that we're able to do it. It's awesome. We, we, we're, we're afforded the opportunity to do that in America. But the question I'm asking is, is that if it was just us, because how many of you guys know, when they first started, man, they didn't have churches to meet in, right? right? They just had the body that we are the temple. We are the church, right? The people of God. They just had each other. Yeah. Yeah. So, so they got together, and, and what did they do? Like, how did they respond? They knew that the world was lost. They knew that, that they had the message of salvation. They knew that they had what the world needed. They were aware of the problems and the pain and the despair and the poverty in their world. And they had talked to God about it. So how did they respond? Well, when you look at the early church and how they spread the gospel, we recognize that it was only 120 people that were gathered, gathered in the upper room who had stayed obedient to Jesus just a few short days after he had ascended to the Father. Now, there's more than 120 people in this service right now, okay? So it's absolutely possible that we, we have the same Holy Spirit, right? We talk to the same Jesus, right? It's absolutely possible that we could have the same impact on Nashville that the early church had on Jerusalem. But we've got to have an idea of what it looks like to truly share the gospel and be a real follower of Jesus Christ that proclaims the good news rather than just a comfortable church member that, you know, does the thing from Sunday to Sunday. Are you guys, are you guys hearing me? Please receive this as a submission. I'm not trying to like, you know, do any browbeating. I'm just simply asking you to investigate the faith that you subscribe to. Because I think for so often, you know, we, we, we kind of get tamed, you know, uh, by, by believing that, man, this is just what church is. But, but Jesus didn't die just so that we could have a nice chair. And our chairs are nice, you know. But he died so that people that are included in these statistics, the people who, who are dying today, hungry and malnourished, people who are drinking from dirty wells, people who have never heard the name of Jesus, people who are selling their kids for drugs, kids who are being trafficked from country to country, knowing that there is no hope for them unless somebody like you is possessed by the reality of a different world where it is good, it is beautiful, it is powerful, where Jesus reigns and goes to them. Have I, have I got your wheels spinning at all this morning? It's, it, it, these are just some questions because the early church grew to 400 times the size that they were when they first started. 
They had no extravagant buildings. They had no programs. They, did, they, they developed some gifted leaders, but aside from Paul, you really didn't have any famous people. They were ordinary people that were supernaturally empowered by an extraordinary presence that allowed them to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ everywhere that they went. Not only did the apostles preach the gospel, but also plenty of normal people whose names have been withheld from the history books that made a huge impact. Yep, yep. Think about the anonymous Christians that took the gospel to Judea and Samaria. Wasn't that the thing that Jesus told them to do? Right? But you don't see any of the apostles going to Judea and Samaria. They're anonymous people who were in the upper room who were obedient to that. Yep. Right? Not famous people. Nobody with the big Insta following. Unnamed believers founded the church at Antioch, which is uh, the very first uh, missions hub. That was the first missions base in the world in Antioch, where they sent out missionaries constantly. And unidentified followers of Jesus were those that spread the gospel throughout all of Asia. How's that, man? Anonymous disciples of Jesus spread the gospel throughout an entire nation. And a lot of times we get so bogged down, man, nobody knows who I am. I don't have a big following. I'm not influential. I'm not well-known. I haven't written a book. I better launch a podcast. But yet none of these people had any of those credentials, and they transformed an entire nation. You guys, you guys awake? This is inspiring for me. The early church understood that the Great Commission was not a choice to consider, but a commandment to obey. And this type of movement, guys, involves everybody, men and women, from diverse backgrounds with different gifts and distinct platforms, making disciples and multiplying churches through every sphere of society in every corner of the planet. This is what we're called to do. Now, I want to give you guys a couple of practical tips as I'm closing, okay? Because one of the things that I've been asked quite a bit is, man, I want to share the gospel, Lyle, but I just don't know how to do it. I don't know what to say. I don't know where to start. I don't know, I don't know what to do, right? And so I want to give you guys some points. I have about uh, five or six points here. So if you're making notes, I want you to write them down because I'm going to move through them pretty quick. But I'm just going to give you some strategies for becoming a practical evangelist. Sound good? Yeah. Awesome. So if you're, if you're making notes, here's the first thing that I want you to write down. Pray. All right? I know this seems pretty simple, but it's important that we begin by praying. Hey, let me ask you a question. Do you pray for the lost? You know, do you pray for people who, who haven't heard the name of Jesus? Do you pray for people that you know by name that are not walking with the Lord, right? Because you know what your life was like before Jesus found you, right? Come on, 9 a.m., right? You know what I'm saying? You Just think, like... Some days as a Christian, I'm like, I'm having a bad day. And then I just remember what my life was like the week before Jesus found me. And all of a sudden, my day's pretty good. You know what I'm saying? But there's a bunch of people around you and in your life that are having that same experience. Right? And so what we want to do is we want to pray for those people. Amen? We want to spend time. We want to make a prayer list in the leaflet of our Bible. We want to spend time praying for people who are lost. Amen? And one of the reasons why we do that is because we need to develop a greater compassion for people who don't know Jesus. Yeah. A lot of times we just have no mercy for them. We have no compassion for them. Yeah. Well, that's what, that's what you get for the way that you live. Me, I'm on my way to church. Oh. <laughs> right. it, it, can we be honest, right? Yeah. yeah. But we need to develop a compassion for the lost. 
they, they, they're not aware of what you have yet. They might be in that situation, but, you know, what if you're the one that God was sending? Now, they, that's, they, they deserve that. You can come on up, Brian. So we need to pray because as we pray, God begins to break our heart for the things that break his heart. And how many of you guys know God wants his kids back? Every single one of them. So we pray. Secondly, you know, this is not point two, but I'm just going to talk more about prayer. We, we, I'm going to move quick. We pray, for the, we pray for the people that we know that personally need Jesus, and we intercede for God to encounter them. You know, so many Muslims are being saved in the Middle East, not by anybody talking to them about Jesus, but by people praying for them, and then Jesus encountering them in visions and in dreams, and then they get saved. You know, I have a friend, there's a friend of ours, you, you know him as well, Daniel, right? He's working in um, Jordan, and he tells us testimonies all the time of people coming to their base and, man, this guy, he showed up, he was wearing a white robe, he talked to me, he said his name was Jesus, and he sent me the, like that happens all the time. I, I got saved as a result, not of, I didn't have Christian uh, TV on, I didn't own a Bible, I didn't go to church, the Lord just encountered me, you know why? Because my mom didn't stop praying for me. Like, you cannot get away from the prayers of a praying mama. That's just, you can't wrestle away from that. You coming home. Right? So pray. we pray for the lost. You don't know what God has planned to do. Pray daily that God would show you who you could talk to about Jesus. Ask Him for opportunities. You can pray in the morning and say, God, I, you know, I'm not real great at this, but I just ask you to, to show me who to talk to about the Lord. And I promise you, he will show you. There will be somebody that will come up and, and you'll get, tell that person something, you know. And lastly, pray that God would empower you to share the gospel with boldness. Ask him, Holy Spirit, fill me up. Give me boldness. I, I cancel the assignment of the fear of man on my life. In Jesus' name, I declare I'm a bold, you know, preacher of the gospel. Now, okay, here's the second point. To becoming a, you guys got all that? Okay. Here, here, here's the second point to becoming a practical evangelist. Talk about God like a friend. All right? Like, you know God. Right? Like, you know Him. Like, He's your friend. The Holy Spirit's your friend. So why do we talk about God like atheists in public? You know, like, well, this, it, this cosmic energy that's somewhere up in the world, you know, can help you. You know, you know Him. Like, you talk to Him. Like, just talk, about, just talk about him like a friend. He is your friend. You don't have to try to pretend or, or, or put on some, you know, religious language because you're talking to somebody you're not sure of where they're at or what they've heard before. Just tell them about your friend. Talk about Jesus like somebody that you know, that you love, and that you worship. Just keep it simple. Just... Talk about God like a friend. That's hard to do if you only have a relationship with church. Amen. You know, because all you can do is invite people to church. And I think that's one of the reasons why Western Christians are not as good at the Great Commission is because they have a great relationship with an organization, but they don't have a great relationship with the living God. Right? And it doesn't mean we should invite people. It just means that God has put that person in your path for you to talk to. Exactly. Not for you to say, man, if I could just get you to church, you could hear the gospel. You're there to tell them about your friend whose name is Jesus. Can I get two good amens? Amen. All right, point number three. 
Now, I, I, don't, I don't mean to ruffle any feathers, but this is point number three. Get honest about what our problem really is. Sin. Now, I'm not saying that you should walk up to somebody and say, you're a damn sinner in need of salvation. Don't do that, okay? Can we all agree that's a bad idea, right? Okay. And, and, and honestly, a lot of people are even offended by the notion, by the suggestion that they even need to be saved. Right. So you want to be very strategic, but you also want to be very aware. Right. Humanity's primary need is salvation. Just let that sink in for a second, because as Christians, I think especially in today's uh, cultural climate, we're tempted to think that, well, if they would just read this book, their life would get better. No, they need to meet Jesus. Yes. I knew I wasn't going to get a lot of amens on that, but. Hey, look, people, I, I, I love life coaches and counselors. I go and I see them. My mom's a life coach. I go to a counselor. I, I get inner healing. I do all that. All that stuff is important. Right. Right. But before we, before we get any of that, before we get any tools to tweak our lifestyles to make us more effective humans, we need wow. Jesus because we're sinners and we need grace and we need mercy. And by the blood of Jesus, we can be set free and washed clean and become saints in the kingdom. Like be aware, like this person is struggling, not just because they haven't done that e-course. They're struggling because they need Jesus. You guys with me, right? They need Jesus. Lead people to Jesus. He is who they need most. Okay, here's point four. Talk about the life of Jesus. And this also may require a little bit more strategy, but, but look for opportunities to talk about the beauty of Jesus' life. Like, he's not just a historical figure. He is a friend that you love. Talk about his healings. Talk about his miracles. Talk about how he served people. Talk about his death. Talk about his resurrection. Like, do people, the people in your orbit know that you're thankful for the cross? Because it's changed everything about you. Amen? And here's, here's, here's also something cool that I think in regards to this point, talk about the life of Jesus, is that every trial that we face is an opportunity to point people towards God. Right? Because people are watching how you respond to opposition. They know that you say that you're a Christian, but do you navigate pain any differently than somebody without Jesus? Right. So here's the last point. Actually, I'm going to throw in a bonus point, but here's the last point. Last point is number five, live worthy of imitation. Disciple making isn't just telling people to trust in Jesus, but teaching people how to follow Jesus in the way that we live. Right? So Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 7, I'll just pull out a little piece. It says, you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. That means we don't just teach the word formally, we teach the word relationally. And we show the world what it looks like to live an abundant life. Amen? To, to be imitators of Jesus, inviting people to follow us as we follow God. And that's one of the things that I, I want to say. I, I think that right now there's a popular conversation around Jesus as being a friend of sinners. And it's being used as leverage for Christians to party. Can we go there as we're finishing? But Jesus was a friend of sinners. He was not a sinner. <laughs> okay, we got to close with that, huh? Here's, so that means you should look different. 
I, look, I'm, I'm, a big, I'm a big advocate of like going to a party and, and being the light, man. Go right in the middle of it. Go to a bar. I, I'm okay with that. But, you know, nobody wants to hear what you have to say about God when you're ordering them two extra shots. I don't know. Maybe somebody does. Maybe somebody does. But, you're, but we're not imitating a life that anybody wants when they see us passed out in the bathroom at the club. Who wants to be like him? No thanks, right? Are you guys with me? Okay. I would like to talk more about that topic because there, I feel like there's some ideas, at least amongst young people. Here's the bonus point. Invite people to church. I told you guys this earlier, but more than 80% of people reported that they would go to church if a friend just asked them. And honestly, guys, I mean, how many of you, how many of you are impacted by what God does in here on Sunday morning? I mean, I, I know that I am, even if nobody's talking or nothing's pre- being presented. It's just the atmosphere. You know, God is in the room. Amen. And you may have to do a little bit of an explanation. Maybe, maybe whoever you bring, maybe they've never been in a church like this before. Maybe they grew up in a different denomination. But, you know, you, you can do a little explaining. Let them know. But just bring them into the presence of God with you. It's not your responsibility to transform them. The Holy Spirit is faithful. If you'll be faithful to be obedient to the Great Commission, God will be faithful to fulfill His Word. Amen? So I, I just want to invite you to stand up. Like I said, today is a, a practical day, but I think it's important that we talk about these things because the reality is the world needs Jesus. Amen? And all of us have the opportunity to make an impact on what's happening in the world through the power of Jesus. Amen? Amen. So today I'm going to pray for you. And I just want to speak out of commissioning as we're sort of closing the case on this sermon and preparing for Easter next week. That we are believing God for an amazing weekend where many, many people come home and receive Jesus. So Father, we just pray now for every single person that is here. Lord, I just ask that you would impact all of us with what it really means to be a fisher of men. That you would empower us, that you would cause us by way of the Holy Spirit, that you would move in us and lead us to people who have yet to hear about the love of Jesus or maybe have and have turned their back on Him. God, empower us. Lord, we want to see miracles happen in our lives. We want to see supernatural miracles, healings, signs and wonders. God, cause us to become uh, dynamic evangelists, Lord. Open our, open our mouths and, and fill it with the gospel. Even as you said to the disciples in Acts 15, don't worry about what you're going to say. Just open your mouth. I'll give you the words. So, Lord, we pray that as we are obedient to your word, that you would be faithful by bringing people into your kingdom. And we pray this today in Jesus' name. Everybody just take one of your hands. Just put on your head real quick. Say, I'm commissioned. <laughs> you are commissioned in the name of Jesus as an evangelist. And everyone said, Amen.